Uh, Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Nehemiah. We're going to wrap up our series that we've been in, Nehemiah chapter 5. And we've been following the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as we began, heard the heartbreaking update on his homeland. He heard about the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed, the shame of his people. He heard that, that, that update as he lived some 800 miles away in the seat of power of the Persian Empire in Susa. His ancestors had been taken there into captivity. He was still there uh, serving as cupbearer to the king. Some of his uh, fellow captives had been allowed to go back and they had begun rebuilding uh, the city of Jerusalem, beginning to rebuild their lives. They'd rebuilt the temple up to this point. But the message that they got, that he got, was that Jerusalem, the people, they're still in chaos. It broke his heart. We watch Nehemiah as his heartbreak turns to action as he goes as cupbearer the king. And he, after months and months of praying about it, God moves him to have a conversation with the king. And he obtains permission to go back and rebuild the walls. He goes back. He casts vision. He rallies the people. And despite the opposition, despite a lot of things uh, working against the work, Nehemiah and the people begin to make progress building the walls. We witnessed how God moved in his heart, how God moved again from his his heartbreak, moved him to action. We saw as he rallied the people as they stepped outside of their comfort zones and began working together to rebuild the walls. We see see Nehemiah himself being willing to set his agenda aside as cupbearer of the king in order to go and to fulfill the call, the mandate, the mission, the vision that God had for him to lead the people to rebuild the wall. We saw people using their time, using their talents to rebuild the wall. And today, in this final installment, we'll see how Nehemiah uses his generosity, how he, how he is willing as he has been blessed to be a blessing, rebuilding the walls, but also being a part of rebuilding the lives of the people in that area at that time. So again, Nehemiah chapter 5 is where we're going to camp out. We're going to look at verse 14 through the end of the chapter, but let me give us uh, some, some updates to help us understand the gap between where we finished and what's happened or been transpiring piring between then and where we'll look at today. So we left off in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6. Let me read it for us. So we, talk about Nehemiah and the people, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So last week, that's where we left the people. They had begun to work. Everyone had found their place on the wall. They were working hard, working together. There were a few exceptions to the rule. There's always a few exceptions to the rule. There were uh, some, the nobles of Tekoa, if you remember in chapter 3, that said that they were too good, thought they were too good to do work on the wall, and so they didn't work. But overwhelmingly, the people engaged, and they began together to rebuild the wall. We saw, we see Continue to see opposition to the rebuilding of the wall. Any project that really has some great eternal benefits, there's going to be opposition. And we see that as the case in this chapter. Uh, look at verse 10 of, verse, of chapter 4. And it was in, in Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. That first part of chapter 10, or verse 10, 
The people just, they, they're talking about how difficult it is, how physically taxing it is. There's so much that we're halfway done, but there's still so much rubble. It's really tough physically. But also we see, I'm sure as we imagine, it was tiring mentally and psychologically. The enemies were around them, people that were the naysayers, people that didn't want to work, and then those that were talking about uh, what they were doing and, and all the negative press that was happening, and then the people that were threatening. We see that in verse 11. They were talking about, as they, if they continue to work on the wall, that we will literally uh, come among them and kill them to stop the work. And so we have these threats. It got so bad, in fact, that Nehemiah directed the people to strap a sword on their side as they worked. And he, he, he had guards that he posted behind those that were working so that if, if, if there was an attack, they could run and they could defend the walls as they're working. Again, imagine the pressure Pressure from the outside of the enemies. Some of us understand what it is to have pressures when we're trying to do what we just know is the right thing to do. And that's what Nehemiah and the people were experiencing. But sometimes the worst opposition doesn't come from outside, but comes from inside. And we see that in the first part of chapter 5. Look at verse 1. And now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So there's turmoil from within. Look at verse 3, then skip down. There were, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging, mortgaging our fields, our vineyard, vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children as, are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and have our vineyards. Now, we don't have time to take a lot of, go into a lot of detail of what was going on, but what we see in this first part of chapter 5 was the internal strife, the struggle, the turmoil internally between God's people, between people that Nehemiah is trying to lead. There were some that were trying to feed their families. There was a famine that was going on at the same time, and they're trying to build the walls, and yet they can't feed their families, and they, they got a taxes they have to pay to the king, and, and so they're having to mortgage their homes and borrow from fellow uh, Jews. It was a distressing time, and Scripture told them in the Old Testament that they shouldn't, they can't, they were prohibited from lending money to their brothers in distress and charging exorbitant interest, but yet that was exactly what was going on. And Nehemiah calls them out. He calls them out as people were having to sell their land and their crops and even their children into slavery to pay off their debts. And so again, this internal conflict of people that had been blessed as, the, as these walls are being built, people had been blessed and so instead of just helping one another, they were extorting one another. And so we see these pockets of, of their own people that were taking advantage, lining their own pockets. Nehemiah rebukes, again as I said, he calls on them to repent of that and to give back what they had basically taken from their brothers to return the fields, return the orchards, the houses, the money, the grain, etc., etc., that they had taken from their people. And as Nehemiah challenges them to do that, we see in these verses that they do it. And they repent of that. They give, give the stuff back. And then we see verse 14. And here's where we're going to start through the end of the chapter. And so we see the external pressure. We see the internal pressure. And after he's told that story, he says one word, 
moreover. So I've told about the external pressure. I've told about the internal pressure and, the, and turmoil, turmoil. And then let me tell you what was going on in my own life as I served as leader. Moreover, he says. Furthermore, also, based on what I've just said, let me tell you the rest of the story. And so let's look at the rest of the story as we see Nehemiah modeling a life of blessing. Of understanding that God had put him in this position of authority. He had blessed him so that he could be a blessing. Not only rebuilding walls, but being a part of rebuilding lives. And so we look at Nehemiah's example and there's things that we can learn. As we desire, we hear the call of God to be a blessing with what we have been blessed with. So, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Again, Here's the summary from Nehemiah about what was going on as he was serving. We don't know exactly when he became governor, but in this period he was the governor. It was the highest ranking leadership position in Judah. It's his job that he was given. And as we look at chapter 5, I, I don't see any indication that in his mind that he thinks that he was in this position because of how awesome he was. I really think he has this idea that I'm here because God put me here. I'm here because God wants me to be a blessing. Even this leadership role as, as governor, it's not, oh, wow, they saw how awesome I am. The, 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 the king of Persia saw how amazing I am, and so he gave me this job. I don't get a sense that that was the idea that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah, as you go back, his heart was broken as he hears the story of his fellow Jews. As he hears the story of his homeland, his people in disgrace, the walls of the, his city that he loved, the walls of the, the, the capital, the place where, where the temple was housed, the walls broken down, the gates destroyed. And God had put this, his, this heart, he broke his heart, and then he, he realizes that his mission, his vision is to be part of the solution. And so God puts that on his heart. He's prepared him. Nehemiah understands that he's been, been prepared for this moment. That he gives a way for him to go back, God did, go back to Jerusalem and to lead the work. He provided the resources for it. He, he, he provided the people that could do the actual work. He had given Nehemiah favor with these people to, to rally behind him and to get involved in the work. Nehemiah knew where his blessings came from. As we think about this example of Nehemiah, we, like him, need to remember where our blessings come from. James chapter 1, verse 17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We, we sang about some of the names of God, and one of the Old Testament names of God is that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is God the provider, to recognize that's our God. Everything we have comes from him. That we are managers of that. We are stewards of the blessings that he has given us. I think Nehemiah understood that. We need to understand that. Verse 15 says, The former governors who were, and this is Nehemiah telling the story, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver 
Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah, again, understood that he had been blessed by God. He'd been put in this position as the governor of this land and as the governor of this region, the highest ranking official, according to Persian law, governors were given authority to collect taxes on the people that they governed to cover their expenses, to cover their household expenses. We see that in verse 14. He says that, that they could take this daily ration of 40 shekels of silver, Expenses for their household, expenses for their servants, expenses for serving as a diplomat uh, for this region when other leaders would come in. He had an expense account, all those things. And so snacks, party favors, uh, you know, travel expenses, all those things he could take as the governor of this region. But he didn't do it. He didn't lay that heavy burden on the people to pay that tax even though the governors before him had done it, he decided not to do it. He, he didn't further oppress the people in their struggle. Verse 15, but I did not do so. So again, he saw this appointment that he had been given as governor, as God putting him in a space and a time to be a blessing. That he's, his assignment is to rebuild the wall, but, but again, he's, he's doing more than rebuilding the walls. He's rebuilding lives. He's helping the people. And notice his position of blessing God. And he understood that he was in this position not to line his own pop pockets, but to be a blessing, to be a blessing to others. And so we need to remember, like we see in Nehemiah's example, we need to remember what our blessings are for. Why have we been blessed? As we look around our country, as we look around our community, we are obviously very blessed. Most of us, and there's some exceptions to that, I, I get that. Some of us are really struggling, even in this room, I, I understand that. But, but overall, when we compare ourselves to people around the world, we are blessed. We're blessed far beyond the vast majority of people around our world and what they are experiencing. And it's good to occasionally be reminded of why God has blessed us. To remember what our blessings are for. I read this this week in a book that Stearns wrote called The Hole in the Gospel. And it was this anonymous quote. It says this, Sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty and suffering and injustices when he could do something about it. Well, why don't you ask? Because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. Again, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty and suffering and injustices when he could do something about it. Well, why don't you ask? Because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question. Why have we been blessed? What's the reason? Nehemiah understood the reason that he had been blessed. The second part of, or the last part of verse 15, he says, but I did not do so. I did not charge them that heavy tax. I did not take up the shekels of silver that I could have taken to meet my own expenses. I did not do so because of the fear of God. So again, Nehemiah recognizes that his blessings come from God. And that what he has been blessed with, that he saw it not as an opportunity, the position that he had as a way to further exploit the people to gain advantage for himself for his own personal gain. But it was a, 
there's a motivation. And we see the motivation that he had respect for the ultimate blesser. That because I have respect for my God, because I have a fear of my God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to exploit the people because I understand why. And we need to remember to respect the blesser as well. As we have been blessed. To understand why we are in the positions that we are. And out of fear of God, out of reverence for God, we make sure, and we see in Nehemiah that he made sure that in this situation that was distressful for the people, that was difficult for the people, a situation that would have been a heartless, another heartless burden on the people, his fellow Jews, he doesn't heap more on them. Leaders, if you're a leader of something, it's a great principle that we can learn here from Nehemiah. And that's to have compassion that those that God has placed under us. No matter where our leaders, leadership position or what that leadership position is, no matter how many or, or what the situation is, if we're the, the head of milkshakes at the Tasty Freeze or we walk the halls of the C-suite of the billion-dollar company or we pastor a church, in our leadership role, we have a responsibility for how we steward, how we manage what we've been blessed with. To have compassion, as Nehemiah did, for those that were serving he refused to, 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 to take more from the people because he respected the blesser. And he recognizes that the blesser had put him in this position to, yes, to rebuild the walls, but also to rebuild their lives. In verse 16, it says, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Scripture's Nehemiah is painting this picture of, of a leader who was willing to get his hands dirty, who was willing to do work on the wall himself. He said, I also per- persevered in the work on this wall. Great leaders I learned a long time ago, they don't ask people to do things they're not willing to do themselves. And we notice that Nehemiah had been blessed, but he was willing, even though he was the top leader of this region, he was willing to get his hands dirty. Remember again, last week, chapter 3, the nobles of Tekoa, if you go back and read that, they were unwilling to do the work. They thought it was beneath them, not so with Nehemiah. And in addition to that, being willing to work on the walls himself, notice on his own dime that he sends his people to do work on the wall. That Nehemiah is willing to get creative with his own resources. He sends his servants, he sends his people. He had been blessed, but yet he even sends, he leverages his own resources to be a blessing. It's a great lesson for us as well. To remember that there are many ways that we can leverage God's blessings. Not just financially. How do we leverage the blessings that we have been given? We go back to the very beginning of the story. Remember what's the position that Nehemiah had been given in the court of the king. He was the cupbearer. He had proximity to power. And he leveraged that proximity to power to have a conversation with the king. That was a dangerous conversation if that didn't go well. And he asked him to give him time off. And then he asked him to finance the build. He leverages his relationship to build the kingdom, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild their lives. He was willing to get creative. He'd been blessed. and He's willing to leverage that blessing of his position as cupbearer. He's, he's willing to bring creativity to his generosity. And I love that so many of you are willing to do the same thing. 
I think about this project that we're really excited about that's underway. If you haven't been over to Benton Heights and if you not saw the latest pictures of the laundry hub that's, that's under roof and the walls are up and the windows are in and, and it's progressing along and it's going to be so exciting how that's going to be used to transform and help people and to make a difference in people's lives, real people's lives. But that $1.3 million project, the, the investment from our capital campaign as a church was $250,000. So that leaves over a million dollars. How do we pay for that? Because some of you who have relationships in different people with different grantors and different, non, or different, different places that, that foundations and whatnot, you spoke for the project and you represented and you said, yes, that's a good thing. And yes, I, I know those people. And yes, you should give those dollars. And as a result of some of you leveraging your relationships, being creative with your generosity, where you've been able to do that project. I think of uh, my friend Art Gift. Art Gift, who, when we were building the ministry center over at Benton Heights, he lives in Indiana, and he brought, he's as a construction company, he brought his big machines, his machinery up from Indiana, and his men that he paid, and all of his machines, and stopped other work so that he could help build the foundation for that building, giving of his resources, giving of his time, leveraging his, what he had been blessed with, it's a, it's a creative way to be generous. Or I think of the men, and some of you are in this room, that, that come every Tuesday, and, and you have been blessed. God has given you abilities and skills uh, through the years, and now you're retired, and you come on Tuesdays, and you fix stuff that's broken, and you repair things, and you tear things down, and you do all these things that are needed around here, saving the church tens of thousands of dollars, being creative in the way that you leverage your blessings. We see that with Nehemiah. I see that in you. Look at verse 17. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials beside those, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six sheep and birds and even in every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand, demand the food allowance of the governor. Because the service was too heavy on this people. Again, we see Nehemiah doesn't charge this tax on the people that was his right as governor. He doesn't do it. He, again, he has been blessed. He clearly is a person of great wealth, but he's willing to leverage that wealth to help others to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And so 150 people, he says, daily come and sit at his table and eat his Food, and not only the 150, but then surrounding dignitaries when they come to town, and that's part of his role as governor, he has to entertain them. When they come to town, they're at the table as well. And we see in verse 18, at his own expense, at my expense for every day. And every day, what's he, what's he provide? An ox, six sheep, birds. So in other words, scores of chicken tenders. Anybody this week? Did you go out? It was chicken, National Chicken Tender Day. Did anybody realize that? Anybody have some chicken tenders this week? It was chicken tender. I didn't, did you realize that? Okay. We were out. Chris and I were out. And she said, where do you want to go? We were going to get something to eat. And I said, well, it's National Chicken Tender Day. Of course we have to get some chicken tenders. We see that Nehemiah every day cooking up some birds. Then there was the, what did he also see every 10 days? He had the wine tasting event for everybody that he invited in. But 
all kidding aside, look at all the expense. Imagine the expense that he's going to. He could have charged that to them. But what does he say? What does it say? Yet for all this, verse 18, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor. And then we see the why. Because it would have been too heavy on this people. He understood his role. He understood that he was blessed for a reason. And he's being creative as, as, he, as he fleshes that out, as he is, is, is willing to be a blessing to others. It's reminiscent of what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he called him away from the land where he was living to go to this new place. Follow me. I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, you're going to be a blessing to this entire world. That's the cycle of blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Do we recognize that cycle? Do we understand? We see it here in Nehemiah. That It's a reminder as we look at his example. We look at other examples in scripture that it's the cycle of blessing. And we need to practice that. We said, it, see that in him. In charity, one Jewish proverb goes, if charity costs nothing, the world would be full of philanthropists. <laughs> Literally, one of the ways that he is being generous, the way he's being a blessing is through his finances. Nehemiah was willing to pay a price to practice the cycle of blessing. As we think about what we've been blessed with, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you've been blessed with salvation. You've been blessed with God the Father sending the Son, Christ, to die that you could have life. And that's life eternal. And so as we follow Christ, as we say that we, we, we have embraced him as our Savior, then he's also Lord. And so we follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, you've got to do Jesus things. You've got to do what Jesus taught us. We have to do what Jesus taught us to do. And Jesus taught us about our finances, and he, he taught a lot, really, about our finances, about how to be a blessing. He taught us a lot about generosity. And we get a little squirrely sometimes when we talk about that in the church, but it's something that Jesus taught more about than most any other topic. J. Gresham Meacham, New Testament professor at Princeton, born in 1881, said in the early 20th century, so that's over 100 years ago, he said this, he said, material betterment has gone hand in hand with spiritual decline. Material betterment has gone hand in hand with spiritual decline. Here at First Church, we understand the scriptural teaching of the benchmark of tithing that we see in scripture. And Chris and I have this have the blessing in, in our lives of being able to practice that, of practicing that tithe, practice giving back 10% of what God has blessed us with. I'm thankful that as we think about the kingdom and, and the mathematics of the kingdom that, that 90% with God's blessing is greater than 100. 90% is greater than 100. 90% with God's blessing is greater than 100% doing it on our own. Give a little financial update to help you understand where we are as we work together to build the wall and restore God's ideal together. One month ago today, we ended our fiscal year, June 30th, as the end of our fiscal year. And at the end of our fiscal year, when you look at, at what we budgeted, and a budget is basically just a plan where leaders get together and decide, okay, here's the, this is how uh, we're going to organize ministry over the course of the next year. Um, and that's the, the plan for ministry. How, do, how are we going to restore God's ideal? That's the budget. 
in that form. And so June 30th, when we looked at the budget versus the income, we were behind that plan, 125 plus thousand dollars. So 95,000, 95% of the 100% of the budget. So we were short $125,000. Now, the good news in all that is we spent 99% of what came in. So in my 16 years of being a pastor, we've never spent more than what came in in a budget year. And so we didn't do that this year either. And so the staff was really good. And they're always really good about making sure that we don't overspend what comes in. But as I've said to you before, what that does mean is that we sit around in meetings and we talk about not what we're going to do, but what we're not going to do that was in the plan. What we're not going to do so that we can make it work, because we need to make it work. And I say that to just be real with you and tell you where we're, where we're at. The, on the positive side, one month into this budget, we're ahead. So it's really cool. Every time, and I would say this, every time there's been a significant need in my 16 years, you have always stepped up. And there has always been whatever we've needed. If there's some significant need, you have always, always, always met that need without question. And I know that it's a privilege to serve such a generous church. And so what does it look like for us to together to recognize that we have been blessed, where those blessings come from, that we have we have this privilege of being a blesser and that we get creative with those blessings. And there's a lot of ways that we can leverage the blessings that we've been given. But one of the blessings that we have are our financial blessings. And so will we be, can we be, can we trust God to be obedient with what he's blessed us with? Scripture says to bring the whole tithe, Malachi 3.10, into the storehouse so there can be, so that uh, my work will be blessed basically and see if I don't pour out the the blessings from the storehouse of heaven. And so we can trust God as we, as we give of our resources back to him. And if you don't tithe, I would just encourage you to start somewhere. Maybe that's 3% or 5%, whatever it is, but just be obedient and see God bless. Because we have been blessed, we have this privilege of being a blessing to others. Look at the very last verse, verse 19. Remember, this is, his, this prayer that he breathes at the end, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. He breathes that last prayer. Nehemiah living his life for an audience of one. He, he, he's not so concerned about what anybody else thinks. He just wants to be obedient to God. He understands that he's been blessed and he wants to be a blessing so that God is glorified and God is praised. He wants to do it for this audience of one to be faithful to his God. And that needs to be our objective as well. To remember the ultimate objective of being a blesser is not the praise of people or men or whatever or to make anybody happy, but to please God, to glorify God, to be obedient to God, to live my life in a way that pleases my God. Is that your story? Is that my story? It'd be really important for us to to, to end this series by understanding the end of the story. And the end of the story we see in Nehemiah chapter 6, as far as the rebuilding of the walls, we see it in verse 15 of chapter 6. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. 
And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 52 days. That's what it looks like when people understand that, 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 that God has a purpose and God has a plan and that when we work together that we can accomplish that. When I give of my talents and I give of my time and I give of my treasure that together we can do some amazing things to rebuild the kingdom. And that's what's happening in this story. And what we see in the story is that even people outside the walls in these other surrounding nations took note that God had been with them. I invite our worship team to come back up. And as they're coming back up, we have the privilege across now four campuses to be a blessing to this region, to rebuild God's walls that he wants to build, to rebuild lives to do his work, to make a difference in our community, to lean into the purpose that God has for us. We see Nehemiah as God calls him, as he breaks his heart, and then he moves him to action, that we have that same call, that God wants to move us to action, that God wants us to work together to be a part of what it looks like in our generation to restore the walls, to build, am I willing to build my section of the wall to work using my time, my talent, my treasure, everything as we work together to restore his ideal. As I have been blessed, I then in turn am a blessing. Heavenly Father, God, as we kind of process all of that and we look at this wonderful example of the last few weeks of Nehemiah's life, we're reminded of, God, your call your call, Father, to, to see this world as you see it, to see the brokenness around us, to see what is destroyed in our world, and to be willing, God, to link arms with others that also see the hurt and the pain, and to find our place on the wall and to work together to, to have a vision to, to, of what could be if we work together. God, I thank you for a great church that gets that and understands that and is willing to use their time and their talents and their treasure to, for us to work together to rebuild, to restore your ideal in our world. God, if we have kind of fallen short of that at any place, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would put that burden on our heart to be a part of the greater work that you're doing together with us. God, help us to be obedient to the call that you have on our lives as we have been blessed to be a blessing. And Father, I would just pray for that person that has never invited Christ to be their Savior. God, today I pray that you would help them as your Spirit draws them, that they would repent of their sin, that they would recognize that you love them so much. You want them, Father, to be a part of your family. And you sent Christ so that they could have a personal relationship with you. Thank you, God, for that. And I thank you for those people, maybe even today, that are praying and inviting Christ to be their Savior. Father, we love you. We thank you for the blessings that you have poured into our lives, every good and perfect gift flowing down from the Father of heaven. Thank you, God. I pray that you would speak to us now in the concluding moments of this service as we sing this new song. I pray that you would speak to us as we celebrate the life we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.